Hey, it's Greg Stanley. As a new aspect of my automotive passion and hobby, I am a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. If you need assistance consigning a collector car at Amelia Island, Pebble Beach, Auburn, West Palm, or Hershey, email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. All right, well, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. This is Greg Stanley. I have a great guest today, one I've been wanting to get on for a while, Donald Osborne. Donald, how are you doing today? I am excellent, Greg. Thank you very much. Yeah, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Now, we met uh, one time at Amelia Island right before the whole world shut down. And I know as CEO of the Audrain Automobile Museum, you've had to do a lot of stuff to make adjustments to this new world we live in. Could you kind of give us an update on your role at Audrain as well as the Concours and a little bit of an update, I guess, overall? Yeah, I guess the, the, the operative word for, for 2020 has been pivot. As uh, we were discussing before we started today, it seems as if um, time has gone into a new dimension. I've often spoken uh, with people about the fact that when we're all very young, time seems endless. You're in elementary school and you're out of school for two months before you go back. And it seems like it's a lifetime. As we get older, time flies. It's, oh my God, what do you mean it's October? It was just March. (laughs) And if you get sick or if you're injured, we all have a tendency to go back to child time. If the doctor tells you, oh, you've got to stay off that ankle for three weeks, you say, oh, I couldn't possibly do that because I've got too much to do. And it seems as if the entire world has gone into child time. We can't remember what it was like when we got together in big crowds and did you know, massive things with people. So that's sort of how I am feeling. It seems difficult to believe that Amelia Island was just in March. The, the auctions in January in Arizona seemed like they were last year sometime. And uh, so it's, it's, it's been very, very interesting. And most interesting of all is the fact that we here at the Audrain in Newport have not been any less busy because of the way the world has changed. We uh, closed the, uh, the museum down in mid-March because of the government regulations. And we reopened two months ago uh, following all the guidelines. And an interesting thing has happened that while we were closed, of course, we wanted to make sure that we stayed in touch with our community of members and the community here in Newport, as well as a larger community of the visitors. Of course, Newport is a great tourist destination, so people have come and visited the uh, Audrain from all around the country and all around the world. And we thought, well, we need to really expand our digital presence. And we had uh, launched a YouTube channel, but we really went all out uh, to provide content for it with views of the exhibition, cars in our storage facilities, and to talk about sort of why these cars were in the collection and what they meant. And that's been extremely successful. We post two new videos each week to our YouTube channel. And it's been an amazing thing. We actually opened a new exhibition while we were closed down on May 1st. We opened Shining Bright, Advances in Automotive Lighting. And, of course, we couldn't invite the public in and we couldn't have our usual members preview. So we did a 26-minute live stream broadcast from our museum where I walked around the exhibition and talked about the cars and why they were there and gave a, a virtual tour. And it was quite interesting because we quickly found out and realized that while we could get about 200 of our members into the museum for a, uh, a member's preview evening, we ended up showing almost 1,000 people uh, what was going on in the museum. So 
we found a way not only to stay in touch with our members, but to actually reach out to a larger uh, audience as well. And we're continuing to do that. Uh, as you just mentioned, we're opening a new exhibition this Saturday called From the Racetrack to the Opera, Marks That Did It All, starting with a virtual tour, which you'll be able to see live streamed on our website, audrainautomuseum.org on uh, Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Then we'll open it to the public on Saturday morning. So uh, it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, that is quite the pivot, like you said. And now it's really cool to see that people are still able to enjoy everything you offer in a virtual presence you know, versus in person. And I've been fortunate to be have visited to have visited your museum twice in the past. And it's just a beautiful building. Can you give us a little history on that building? Sure. This building was built in 1902 and 1903 by an architect named Bruce Price for a fellow named Adolphe Audrain, who built it as a speculative building. It's, it's a magnificent uh, structure here on Bellevue Avenue, which is the street where many of the great Newport cottages, as they're called, are located. And the building is built in the Italian Renaissance style with wonderful glazed terracotta trim. It's quite uh, special. Many people consider it one of the most beautiful buildings in all of Newport, and I certainly would feel that way. The building was treated to a spectacular restoration and repurposing in 2013-2014, and the museum opened in 2014, it really was not only restored to its its original glory, but actually, I think it's actually been enhanced. And it, it is a wonderful showcase for great cars of all ages, because one of the things that uh, was done here in the design that was completely uh, respectful of the original design on the outside, but our gallery space is a combination of English club meets Edwardian industrial. So we have great big steel beams and, and wonderful dark polished wood floors and, and great fixturing. It's, it's really quite a marvelous space. And it lends itself quite well to the Audrain collections, which run from vehicles from 1889 to 2020. Right, right. And when I was there, you had just spectacular cars. I think the second time I was there, you had some of the prototype Firebirds, the uh, I don't think they were Pontiac Chevrolet Firebirds. Is that correct? Ah, you were here uh, last year during our summer exhibition on GM design. Yes. Yep. That was quite something. Um, we we had eleven. It's never been never been done before. We had eleven cars from the GM Heritage Center loaned to us, along with a couple of cars from the Ken Lingenfelter collection. And it was an absolutely extraordinary uh, survey of GM design, starting from a 1931 Cadillac V16 Sport Phaeton to the 2005 Cadillac 16 concept car. And we had the LeSabre, the Y-Job, Cadillac Le Mans, the Firebird 3 turbine car, the Cadillac Cyclone, the Aerovet mid-engine uh, car from the 1960s, the uh, Mako Shark 3, the Corvair, which was a hardtop Motorama version of the Corvette, as well as the, uh, the Duntoff Mule, which was the first Corvette fitted with a V8 engine for development purposes and, and racing development, and uh, the Insight Experimental, GM's first electric car prototype. So it was an amazing exhibition, and speaking of which, we're very proud of the one that's opening uh, this Saturday, because once again, it is an exhibition of cars that you will not see anywhere else 
on the planet. And you'll only see them once here from our opening on uh, August 15th through November 15th this year. And it's an extraordinary combination of cars built for racing and then cars built for luxury and touring from the same manufacturers, showing the range that some of the great manufacturers have. Wow, that's a really great theme. That's the cool thing about the car world is there's so many different unique, interesting perspectives to it and different groupings you can put together. So I've been really impressed the two times I've been there, so I look forward to getting there again. That's great. Well, I do want to get into a little bit more about your passion for cars, uh, but I would like to know some of your, a couple of your favorite memories from Monterey, because obviously that's not happening this year. And I guess if you had the look back of, I don't know, your 20, 30 years of going there, what are the one or two things that you really miss? Now, I know you really miss the people, which obviously that's true. But is there anything in particular, a, a particular event, something that you do, maybe only the insiders know that knows that occurs? I don't know, just some two or three things that you really wish you could do this year that you're unable to do. Well, Greg, uh, it's funny. You mentioned the, the, those numbers you threw out. Uh, I don't know if we had discussed this in our brief meeting or not, but last year was my 30th. Uh, Monterey Week, my 30th visit to the uh, Pebble Beach Concord d'Elegance. It seems, again, uh, thinking about time, it's astonishing that that 30 years has passed <laughs> since my first uh, Pebble Beach. One of the things that I love most about Pebble Beach, people often ask me, why do you go every year? And I said, well, there are basically three reasons why I go. One, it's because I'm in the business, so it's my international trade show. Everyone is there, and I have to be there as well. There are people, as you mentioned, that I only see once a year, and I see them there. Uh, from all around the world. Of course, it's one of my busiest work weeks. <laughs> um, but also the third reason is probably the one that, that has kept me going back from the very beginning and, and to now, which is every year I go to Monterey and I see a car that I've either never seen before in my life or I've only ever seen as a black and white photo in a book. Mm. And it just renews my passion for what it is that I get to do. It makes you feel like an eight-year-old boy again, discovering cars for the first time. And that is something that I will really miss because that's really something that can, that can basically only happen for me with my experience there in, in the Monterey environment. I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate to be around cars and to make my living with cars for decades now. And any of us who work in the business run the risk of becoming jaded. Like, oh, it's a Ferrari GTO. Which chassis number is that? Or, oh, it's a McLaren F1. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Uh, yeah, and and that's, that's insane. It's absolutely insane because you realize that there are literally billions of people on the planet who will never have the experience of seeing any of these cars in person, much less driving any of them. So it, it, it's important, I think, to renew our enthusiasm. And um, it's sort of what they refer to it in meditation as keeping it the beginner's mind. And, and Monterey, for me, just refreshes and renews my beginner's mind. Wow, that's a really great way to look at it, a really great point. And you're right, you know, there's people that their only goal is to bring something fresh and new to, that no one's ever seen to Monterey, you know? So it's really cool to knowing that you can walk the greens there and just see some of the most amazing cars ever that you probably didn't know exist, like you said, unless you saw it in a, an old black and white photograph from way back when. So, wow, that's really cool. Well, I'd like to watch all of Jay Leno's stuff, and I know that you're on his show and good buddy. So I do have to ask, if you could only have one car out of his collection, what would it be? <laughs> this is a question that Jay asked me once. I, I brought a group of my fellow American Society of Appraisers automotive specialists to the garage a few years ago. We were having a meeting out in L.A., and unfortunately, Jay had to be out of town. And he said, oh, you know, I'll call you when, when you're there with your guys. And so we were all walking around, and my phone, actually, I looked at my phone because I turned the ringer off, not to be rude, 
And I noticed a missed call. I thought, oh, darn, it was Jay who called me. So I said, I'll turn the ringer back on. So he called back, and um, so I put him on speakerphone. He said hello to everybody there. And so he said, okay, Donald, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you could take home any of the cars that were there, which one would you, do, would you take home? And I said, without hesitating, his 1966 Corvair Corsa Coupe. Really? That and is not said, the one wow, I would Wow, you're picked. a cheap date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> wow, why, why that particular car with all the amazing cars he has in that warehouse? Well, two reasons. I mean, it, it's very funny because I, as, as you uh, as well have experienced, are often asked what our favorite car is. And frankly, it depends on my mood. Uh, you know, the phrase horses for courses has, has, has very, very deep and important meaning. The other thing is the fact that my very first car was a Corvair, the 1963 Corvair Monza convertible. And so I've always had a soft spot for Corvairs. And for many years, I thought I wanted to have another one. And I actually have a good friend who is a Corvair nut and specialist, and he was out looking for a car just like the one I had. And I quickly realized two things. One, you can never go home again. That car was wonderful and special because it was my first car. Mm-hmm. But I still love Corvairs and the idea about them. But the second generation Corvairs are much better cars. And the 1965 and 66 GM cars, I'm a freak for design. Design is a passion of mine. And I'll make a shameless plug here for my book, Dile Transatlantico Transatlantic Style, A Romance of Fins and Chrome, which I wrote a couple of years ago, which talks about the creative exchange between Italy and America in post-war design. And so design has been a long passion of mine. And the 1965 and 1966 General Motors cars from the Chevrolet all the way up through Cadillac are among the most beautiful cars ever designed. And the 66 Corvair, 65 and 66 Corvair uh, coupes are incredibly beautiful cars. You get the Corsa, the turbocharged model, and you get great performance that frankly equals a Porsche 911 <laughs> at a fraction <laughs> of the price and is frankly more, more unique at this point in the world. And so it's an amazing car. So that was my choice. They're very beautiful, and I think they're underrated. So not the Yanko Stinger then, right? He has one of those, No, he? he has. he's got a Yanko Stinger. It's very funny because he, he often says, and I love correcting Jay because uh, he, he, gets, he gets a kick out of it. He says, uh, oh, yes, I've got three Corvairs. I said, no, Jay, you have two Corvairs and a Yanko. Because it's not a Corvair. It's not a Corvair badge on the car. It's got its own serial number. So it's yeah, a Yanko. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that's a good bit of trivia. Yeah. Yanko is an amazing car, but not to drive every day. Right, right. Okay. Well, to to your point, the first car I learned how to drive in was a piece of junk, 1983 Isuzu iMark diesel, which is probably worth 50 bucks now. And I have a Google alert on it in case I ever find one because they just don't <laughs> exist, you know? So they were horrible. But it's that memory back in the day, you know? So, okay, I'm going to ask you the opposite question. Okay. What car would you not take from Jay's if he gave it to you? Oh, okay. That is, uh, well, again, that's actually also a fairly easy one. As much as I admire the engineering, his, um, his um, well, not the, I was going to say his jet car, but actually the jet car is pretty cool. Um, he's got a couple of aero-engined roadsters that mm. I have no desire to have whatsoever. Um, because they're, to me, the combination of the worst attributes of a motorcycle and of a car. (laughs) (laughs) So that might be for our listeners. One of the cars might have a a Bentley airplane engine in it, like from the 1920s. Right. It's a big Rolls Royce Merlin engine. And it's just, they're just really big and loud and heavy and, and uh, great to drive in a straight line somewhere, as long as you could drive it. And uh, it's like, nah, plus 
I'm a guy who likes to have a roof over his head. Not that I have hair, but um, <laughs> you know, convertibles are nice and roadsters are, are terrific for a few minutes. But if I'm going to spend time with a car, I'm going to roof over my head. I'm a coupe guy. I'm a sedan guy. That, that's me. Right, right. Okay. Well, enough about Jay. Let's learn about Donald. You know, you could probably tell I could talk to you all day about cars, but this <laughs> is a podcast that needs to fit certain time requirements. So what kind of cars do you collect? I know you're an Alpha fan, but is that what's in your actual garage? Well, uh, yes, there, there, there is an Alpha in my garage. I am, it's a very funny thing. My, my collecting tends towards the Italian, and it tends towards the post-war Italian, so 1950s, 60s, 70s. Um, I love all sorts of cars. I've had British cars, French cars, German cars. I often joked about the fact that I first started driving old German cars. The first collector cars I had were, were Mercedes. And I drove old German cars and new Italian cars. And they stopped selling new Italian cars here, except for Ferraris. And I started driving new German cars and old Italian cars. And uh, so right now, my everyday driver is an Alpha, one of the new Alpha Julias, which I love. It's my favorite new car I've ever owned. Um, and then for old cars, um, it's mostly Italian. I've got a 1960 Fiat 1500 Oscar Pininfarina Coupe, a very rare uh, car. They made 300 of them, sold directly by Pininfarina, powered by a 1.5-liter uh, Oscar-designed twin-cam uh, inline-four. Really neat thing. Um, I've got a 1987 Fiat Panda, uh, wow. one of Giorgetto Giugiaro's great masterpieces, and something I've always admired. I always admired utility cars because it's really easy to, to design and build a great sports car or a luxury car. To design a utility car that is functional, attractive, and fun to drive is hard work. And the right. Fiat Panda is, is absolutely legendary. It was my everyday car in Italy for three years, and I brought it back over here to the U.S., um, I also have a 1953 Jaguar Mark VII uh, sedan, mm. uh, which is a really neat thing and a car that I'm very excited about because I'm actually the second owner of it, which is astonishing. And I have a 1981 Ferrari 400i automatic, um, a car which is also generally, well, it's less unloved than it used to be, but it's a superb car. Again, the whole idea of a coupe that is fast and comfortable and for people that uh, poo-poo uh, the automatic transmission, there is nothing like the experience of a GM turbo hydromatic on kickdown with a Ferrari V12 in front of it. Let me tell you, unless, <laughs> right. you, unless you've experienced it, don't knock it. <laughs> right, right, yeah, okay, all right, that's and, cool. Uh, and a 1999 Mercedes 230 SLK 5-speed manual. Oh, that's a fun little car, okay. So yeah, that's be great. So it's an interestingly mixed bag. Yeah, now is there a car on your wish list right now that you're looking for? <laughs> well, I know there's always one. Is there a particular say, one? <laughs> now, is there a car on my wish list that I'm looking for, or is there a car on my wish list that I need to find the funds to, 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 to provide? Um, before I shuffle off this mortal coil, I will own these two cars. One is a Fiat Ottovu, a car about which I'm absolutely crazy. Um, the, the wonderful Fiat sports car with the uh, two-liter V8 engine that was built in the early 1950s, and an amazing, amazing car. I had a spectacular experience last year. I was invited to a great event, uh, the Vernasca Silver Flag. It's a hill climb in Italy, and I was invited as a guest, and I was given to drive the one and only fiberglass-bodied Fiat Ottovu, which is 
owned from new by Fiat, and now it's in the FCA Heritage Collection. And uh, it was last out of the museum when it was driven by Don Elkon, the chairman of Fiat, and his wife on the Milla Milia in 2012. And they entrusted uh-huh. this great treasure to me, and I had the time of my life. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've always loved the cars, and this just cemented that. And the other is a Bugatti Type 57 Galibier four-door sedan. Again, I'm a sedan guy. There are lots of very sexy Bugattis, um, but that one, I think, just, just sort of strikes a chord uh, with me, and uh, not to mention it's the most affordable Type 57 Bugatti you can have. However, affordable has steadily moved <laughs> away from me as, <laughs> as time has passed. Uh, there was a time when the car, I won't say it was ever easily in reach, but it's more than slightly out of reach at the moment. But, you know, things change. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, those are two really cool cars, and I'm familiar with one of them, but I'm not familiar with the Fiat, so I'll have to check that out. Ah, yeah, check out the Fiat. There's actually, sorry, just to interrupt for a second. If I got one more second, there's a third car on my wish list. Let's take it, yeah. Which is a 1965 K-Code 289 Mustang Fastback. Oh, see, I'm a Mustang guy, and I, I love the love K-Codes. Love those cars. Love oh. those cars. <laughs> wow, that is really cool. Well, now I have to ask, uh, do you have a particular barn find story you can share? Is there like one monumental one that you know either has become public or has not? Well, it's a very interesting thing about barn finds. Um, I've gotten into some pretty <laughs> heated discussions with folks about barn finds um, because you have to, to if, if you mean barn find as in a car which has been hidden away, that's one thing. It's something in which I have a great interest because to me, cars are all about the stories that they tell. Cars, however, that have had trees growing up through the middle of them or, or are, are you know, rodents' nests don't particularly yeah, interest right. me because celebrating decay is, is to me, very sad. <laughs> right, um, right. But to that point, um, there have been cars. My, my Jaguar Mark 7 doesn't qualify as a barn find um, because the car was used for its entire life up until the time it was parked for the last probably six years or so of the uh, first owner's life. But cars like that, to me, have a great appeal. There was a, um, I found once for a client in Italy, a um, 1953 uh, Fiat 1100 uh, Coupe. It was a special body car by Vignale, and it had been ordered new by a wealthy woman in Sicily. And she took delivery of the car, and apparently she enjoyed it for about three or four weeks, but then decided it was far too flashy. Now, why she couldn't figure out that a custom-bodied Fiat was not going to be too flashy (laughs) was beyond me. But she parked the car, and she bought a little Mercedes sedan, diesel sedan, to drive around in instead. And there is this this thing, especially in Sicily, but in a lot of, of, of Italy, especially southern Italy, that people who have people of means... If they're not using something, whether it be a car, a house, whatever it might be, they don't sell it because to sell it would indicate to your neighbors that you needed money. So Mm. they just put it away because they've got room to store things. And so here was this car that was just put away and just left um, in a garage. And it was discovered by a friend of mine who is a dealer in Italy, and he cleaned it up. And, 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 and I saw it, and I said, this is absolutely fantastic for a very special friend and client of mine. And he bought the car, and it's an absolutely beautiful car. And it reminded me of another story of probably the most breathless, again, not a barn find, but a garage find. 
Right. Another Fiat Autovu, in fact. This is a Fiat Autovu Supersonic, one of the, uh, I believe they built 15 of them, gear-bodied cars. And um, I, was, I got a call from a colleague and said, oh, I've got this client who's got this car, and it hasn't been on the road since 1978. And I said, okay, you know, what is this? This is a barn find. No, no, well, no, it's not a barn find. It's very, it's totally original. I said, no, okay, fine. And the car was located in Michigan, and I was living in New York at the time. He said, we need to know, you know, how we should price it, get some ideas. So come out and look at it. So I flew from New York to Detroit, and it was in a horrible snowstorm. It took me four and a half hours to get to Detroit. By the time I got there, I picked up at the airport, half an hour drive to the, to the house where it was. I had basically 30 minutes to look at the car until I had to head back to the airport to fly back to New York. I thought, okay, fine. Pull up to a very nice nondescript brick ranch house in, in the suburbs of Detroit. And I come in and meet the fellow who's the owner and his wife, very, very nice people, sort of reserved. And we chatted for a moment. I realized we didn't have much time, but he quickly realized how much I loved these cars, these Fiat Autovus. So he warmed me a bit, said, oh, do you want to see the car? I said, sure. We walk through the kitchen door into the garage. He turns on the light and there's a car, like it tells an Autovu uh, supersonic, under a cover. The cover <laughs> was a burlap cover that was made for the car when it was shipped from Italy in 1953. Oh, my Hand-sewn goodness. cover. The same fabric that they used to use the, to, to, for the tool rolls back in the time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so he pulls back the cover, and it was astonishing. I was, sta- I was literally speechless. It was like standing next to a three-year-old used car. It was remarkable. The cover is a barn find in and of itself, much less the car underneath it. <laughs> exactly. It was wow. absolutely astonishing. So that was, I, I was literally left speechless. Wow. That is really, really amazing for sure. Goodness gracious. I can't even imagine coming across that. So I also know a question you get all the time, and I'll ask it here, but what recent trends have you seen in the collector car market, especially with the whole impact of COVID? Well, quite interestingly, Greg, I have not seen a major effect on prices because of COVID. I have seen a, a change in buying habits and an interesting change that is not something new. It's sort of the, the concentration development of a trend that's been building for many years now. The market probably for the last five years, certainly in, I see this in private sales, and I certainly see this in, in, in the auction market, at places uh, like the sales of RM Sotheby's, where the market is becoming more and more specific. It's very difficult, and as an appraiser, (laughs) it makes your job impossible, (laughs) but it becomes more and more difficult as an appraiser, as a writer, as a consultant, to say, this is what X sells for. This is what E-type sells for. This is what 911 Carrera 2.7 sells for. This is what a Porsche Speedster sells for, because it's about the car. This is what Mm. this gullwing sells for this is what this 289 cobra sells for because it's all about the basic attributes of value which i think is a very intelligent and very smart and very healthy thing the car market is behaving much more like the other collectible markets whether it be art furniture um even real estate for that matter um because it's all about the attributes of value that count why am i buying this why am i attracted to this object why do i want this object and you can, I'll just use the 300SL as an example. You can have a 300SL Roadster. 
You can buy one for $975,000. You can buy one for $2 million. The $2 million car is single-family ownership from new, original paint, original fitted luggage, original rudge wheels, and service history from the day it, it, it left the factory. The car for $975,000 might be a very attractive car. It might be a color change. It might have had an engine swap at some point in its history. Um, it might have four or five owners whose, whose, whose identities are unknown. It may have been right. refurbished at some point. And you can spend a million dollars on the first car. It will never be the second car. Yeah. What's the history? What's the provenance? What's the condition? You know, everything that you just talked about, it's like you can't replicate, you know, so much of it, which does draw the higher dollars, right? Exactly. And the other change in buying habits that I've seen, which I think is slightly more disturbing, uh, is the fact that, you know, people have become very used to buying online, whether it be through Amazon for clothing or whatever it is. And, um, you know, certainly I have bought and sold cars online over the years for myself, for friends, for clients. I have almost never, I won't say never, <laughs> I've almost never bought a car that I haven't seen myself or someone I know has seen or without extensive conversation with the seller and with a great number of photos changing hands. It is astonishing for me to see the amount of money that people spend on cars they haven't seen. It's not a shirt. You can't put it in a box and return it if you don't like it. <laughs> right. Now, can you talk about the one car you didn't <laughs> see in person and how that worked out? <laughs> can I ever? <laughs> I, 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 at one point, I owned three Alfa Romeo 2600 Sprints. The first car I bought, and this is years ago, the first car I bought uh, from an ad, um, a classified ad, and I was living in um, Pennsylvania at the time. The car was in Georgia. And I knew that it was a car for restoration. I wanted a restoration project. So I exchanged a couple, uh, a couple of photos, and so I bought the car, and had it flatbedded up to my house. And the car arrived, and I looked at it, and I thought, mm, okay, there's much more mold on the paint than there appeared to be in the photos. And they unloaded it in the driveway, and I opened up the door, and it had no floors, zero. Complete oh, no. Flintstones car. <laughs> and I realized, of course, I should have told this from the photos where it was sitting outside in a nice Georgia pine forest with all those pine needles underneath. So it just it, the, the outside, the top, the roof of the car, the top of the fenders, the hood, the trunk, even most of the body panels looked fine. It simply rusted from the bottom inside. So I thought, okay, fine. Uh, wow. This is going to be a parts car. I need, uh, sorry, this is going to need a parts car because I need so much. So I looked at a second ad and I called him and said, I'm going to be careful about this one. I said, for a parts, I said, I need a parts car. And the guy said, no, it's complete. Yeah, and, 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 and it runs pretty well, too. I said, it runs? So I got on a plane this time, flew down to see the car, and drove it. It had no brakes, but I drove the car. I said, okay, I'll take it. And went back home, started stripping the first car I bought for parts to restore the second one. And got in the middle of that, and then I was on a business trip to California and saw an ad for another car, a one-owner car <laughs> that had one new paint job on it. <laughs> A month before, in the original color, totally original interior, beautiful car, so I bought that one. So it's the way I sort of skipped steps into restoring a car. I simply kept buying cars until they became more restored. <laughs> so, yeah, what was the lesson learned from that? I guess see it in person and buy the best you can when you can. Precisely. Is that right? 
What simple lessons. <laughs> wow. But a, a hard way to learn them, for sure. So, wow. Well, one thing I like to do to end this conversation is play a little game. I did give you a heads up in the email, so I'm hoping you read that part. Yeah. We'll see here shortly. But I play a little game called Keep, Cash, and Crush. Mm -hmm. So I give you three cars. You have to pick one you want to keep forever, one you will cash in, and then one you don't mind sending to the crusher. So it's meant to be painful. It's just for fun. Okay. So I've picked out three cars for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So since I'm kind of cruel sometimes, I pick three alphas. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the first one is a 1928 6C500 or 1500, but it's just a wrecked chassis with the VIN. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the second one is a 1960 Giulietta SZ. In Concord condition. Mm -hmm. And the last one's a 1956 C2500SS in preservation condition. And a very nice, like a very nice driver. So those are your three cars. Hopefully I didn't make it too easy on you. <laughs> so which one, would, <laughs> which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And which one would you send to the crusher? Okay. Uh, the 601500 I would send to the crusher to keep somebody else from building a, a car around an idea. Oh, I should have made it nicer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. The cash would be the uh, 6C2500 um, SS uh, because they're very nice cars, and I've, I've enjoyed cars like them, um, but it's not necessarily a car I'd want to live with every day. So the keep, without okay. a doubt, is the SZ. Oh, my God. I love those cars. And uh, okay. And uh, in, in fact, speaking of the SZ, uh, in the exhibition that's opening this uh, this Friday, uh, Saturday rather, uh, we have a spectacular 1964 Julia TZ1, which is just oh, the SZs and TZs are just <laughs> life itself. Wow. So I will have to have you back on in the future so I can make you sweat a little more than you did. That was really fast. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, I try to do what I can. And, and you know, if you, if you want to watch me sweat, you know, be sure to uh, tune in to our YouTube channel and uh, watch me drive some of these great cars. And, and you, you'll, you'll see that I don't want to get out of them. Uh, <laughs> and you'll also see a, a few thing. that I'll glad that the video is over on. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's a great experience. Well, speaking of which, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the museum and all that you're doing? Well, certainly come to our website, audrainautomuseum.org. A-U-D-R-A-I-N, A-U-T-O, museum.org. And um, there you can find all the information about our current exhibition and also our upcoming exhibitions. And uh, you can also shop our museum store. We've got some great merchandise. Um, and also lots of information on our past exhibitions as well. So you learn all about our collections and uh, some of the history of the building as well. And also, of course, go to our YouTube channel, the Audrain Auto Museum YouTube channel, and watch our videos. Uh, be sure to go to our channel to watch our live stream, uh, both of our new exhibition coming up on Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and also uh, the live stream of our last exhibition, uh, Shining Bright, which we did on May 1st. That's posted on our YouTube channel. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Donald. Thank you, Greg. Really appreciate being invited. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.